Father, we are so thankful for your goodness to us, and we thank you for your character. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your holiness, your justice, your goodness, your eternal nature. We're so thankful that none of those things ever change. The psalmist says multiple times, you are our rock. We are so grateful that the rock does not move, that you never leave us or fail us or forsake us, that you are always the same. Thank you that we can trust you, that we can lean on you. This morning as we take some time to look into your word, we just ask that you will quiet our hearts, you will calm our minds, you will clear our vision so that we can see you and we can hear your truth. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. If you ever want some uh, interesting bedtime reading, I suggest that you Google human life expectancy. No? I think it's interesting. It's very interesting. There's a lot of factors that go into human life expectancy and characterizing it and and measuring it. And I found out that it varies in different parts of the world. In different parts of the world, the human life expectancy is different. Uh, And at different times, down through the ages in civilization. Did you know that in the 17th and 18th century... In the country of England, human life expectancy was 35 years. 35 years. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, a lot of factors that went into it. One of them was the infant mortality rate was so high, many died in infancy, and of course that affects the average life expectancy. There were plagues, diseases. Even as recently as 1950, the worldwide life expectancy was 48 years in 1950. Now in 2017, which is the most recent time in which we have uh, those figures and those statistics, it's actually up to 72 plus years because of advances in medical technology and care and treatment and disease prevention and prenatal care and all of those things. And what we're finding in this culture that we live in now in 2019 is that more and more people are living longer. In fact, the number of people that are living to the age of 100. Is anybody here this morning that's 100? No? Okay. Anybody getting close? Anybody feel like they're getting close this morning when they get out of bed? Okay. All right. Good. Uh, Actually, the statistics tell us that almost 3% of the United States population is going to reach the age of 100. Human life expectancy is rising. I can't imagine living that long. In fact, I'm actually not even sure I want to live that long. Because what happens as we get older? As we get older, our bodies continue to deteriorate. And we could say, well, you know, I wouldn't mind living that long if I could be healthy. But that's not what happens, is it? Age Injury, genetics, disease, they all wear us down 
as does the inevitable suffering that we face in this world. Physical suffering, mental suffering, emotional suffering. And I know you're sitting here this morning saying, Mike, you paint a beautiful picture. So glad that I'm here to hear this. But this is reality, isn't it? This is what life is. While we may live to 50, 60, 70, some of us will live to 80, 90, maybe even someone in this room will live to be 100 years old, but the older we get, the more problems we seem to have and the more suffering that we face. So how do we deal with life's pain in this broken world? Well, as Christ followers, we believe that God has given us some help and given us some guidelines in the Scripture that we need to be aware of. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. If you've been here, then you've heard me say a couple of these things. First of all, we need to make sure that we acknowledge the inevitability of suffering. We need to acknowledge it. It's part of life. No one escapes it. If you're sitting here this morning and you're going through something that's incredibly difficult in your life and you're looking across the room or when you're home you look across the road at your neighbor's house and you think, well, they're not suffering, you're wrong. Because suffering is an inevitable part, an inevitable part of living life on this earth, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to be aware of it and know it. Second thing, last week we talked about the importance of embracing the sovereignty of God in our suffering. We talked about the fact that God created this world, and he has a purpose for it, and he doesn't just have a purpose for this world, but he has a purpose for everything that happens in this world as it applies to your life and as it affects your life. And he uses all of it, all the events of my life, to make me more like Christ. And he uses all of the things that happen in my life to draw the sin out of me and make me who he wants me to be, to change me. Now my challenge to you at the end of last week was to cling to the sovereignty of God, to embrace his sovereignty, to cling to it like your life depends upon it, because I believe that it does. But the sovereignty of God alone can be very cold, can be a little stern. We can walk through something very difficult, and somebody can come up to us and say, Oh, but this is the sovereignty of God. God designed this. God allowed this. And on the one hand, as Christ followers, we can say, well, I'm glad to know that it's not random. But nod your head if you agree with me that sometimes just clinging to the fact that God caused it to happen or allowed it to happen can still be a little tough to swallow. Yes? Yeah. For those of you that are parents or grandparents, think about how you have dealt with your children and your grandchildren. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you have your four or five-year-old child in hand, you're walking along, enjoying the day along a busy street, and your child slips away from your grasp and, becomes, and begins running toward the traffic, what do you do? What do you do? Do you whisper? No, you holler, hey, Gavin, come back, or whatever name may be appropriate in your situation. Come back, don't do that. 
Dads, when you're down in the basement in the middle of the winter and the house is getting cold and you're feeding the stove some wood and you've got that door open and the glowing red coals are there and your child is curious about what's inside and he comes close, what do you do? You reach out and you grab the collar of their shirt and you pull them back because you want to protect them, because you want to direct them, because you want them to know that that's dangerous and you're concerned about their well-being. But it's not those moments of hollering at your children to watch out for the traffic or grabbing them by the collar and yanking them away from a hot stove. It's not those moments that cause your child to climb up into your lap and snuggle into your arms, is it? It's not those moments. It's the fact that your child knows that you love them. That's what makes them crawl into your lap. That's what makes them wrap their arms around your neck. That's what allows them to learn from and to deal with and to accept your sovereignty in their lives, your direction. You see, we need to do more than acknowledge the inevitability of suffering and embrace God's sovereignty in dealing with our lives because those things will just be cold and clinical. We can't stop there. We must be reminded of his mercy and reminded of God's love and reminded of his grace. Is the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations that says that God's mercy to us is made new every morning. And he's faithful to do that. And his love to us was so clearly demonstrated at Calvary on the cross. And in his grace, he provides our salvation. But I want to talk about something with you this morning in regard to our salvation. Because you see, God's word says that we have only received part of our salvation. Did you know that? Did you know that you've only received part of your salvation? Oh, when you trust Christ, you are fully saved. You are completely saved. You are his child, and that never changes, but you've only received part of what God has to give you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says it this way. So we do not lose heart. Now, we would take time to read the whole chapter. I wish we could, but we don't have it. He's talking about suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen to what he says in verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are, or the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is Paul saying to us there? He's saying, Christ follower, keep going. Keep going because everything that you see in this world, and everything that you experience in this world is going away. It's all temporary. 
That's what the word transient means. It's all temporary. It's, it's not going to last. All the physical things, all the tangible things. And you know what else is not going to last? All of the affliction, all the suffering, all the difficulty, all the pain. Listen to me now, friends. All of it is momentary, Paul says. And I know what you're thinking. You didn't know this, but I'm a mind reader. I know what you're thinking when I say all of this and all of your affliction and all of your difficulty and all of your suffering is momentary. I know this is what you're thinking. It's how, wait, wait a second now, buddy. Wait a second. I've experienced a lot of things. In fact, I'm in the middle of some of the most difficult things I've ever experienced in my life. And I don't know what to say about it and I don't know what to think about it. But there's one thing I do know and that it's not momentary. The opposite. Feels like it's never going to end. Of course not. When we're in the middle of it, we're in the middle of suffering, turmoil, anxiety, uncertainty, pain. It always seems like it's going to last forever. Paul says the key here is the comparison. It's the comparison. Have you ever heard anybody ever say everything's relative? Well, in terms of what we experience here on this earth, that's true. It is relative. Paul says it's relative to eternity. The key is the comparison between the affliction and the glory, between the seen and the unseen, between the temporary and the eternal. That's why the third thing that we must do when we're dealing with life's pain in this broken world is focus on eternity in our suffering. We have to focus on eternity and our suffering. You see, my friends, we focus everything on the now. All of our time, all of our energy, all of our money, all of our passion on this life. That's our natural tendency, right? Because what do we think? We look around, we live life, and we think, this is it. This is my life. And so I need to do everything I can. I need to put everything that I have into this life. We want it to be all that it could possibly be. But what God wants you and I to understand is that what he has in store for us after this life is far greater far more satisfying, far more fulfilling, far more enjoyable than anything that we could experience in this life on this earth. Once again, as I call upon my powers and look into your mind, well, that's easy for you to say. That's easy for you to say standing up there. But you don't know what I have been through. And folks, that is true. I don't know everything that you have been through. And I would never minimize what you have been through or what you're facing right now. I don't ever want you to think that. 
what I want you to think about is this. This is not about minimizing your pain. This is about maximizing eternity. Okay? I am not asking you to narrow your vision of what you're going through now. I'm not asking you to pretend that it's not happening. I'm not asking you to just whistle away your cares. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to expand your understanding and your vision of eternity. I'm not asking you to minimize your suffering. This is my life. This was my childhood. These are the things that I experienced in it that have shaped who I am today. This is my health. This is the body that I have. This is what I have to deal with. I don't have any choice. I didn't choose to have this disease. I didn't choose to have this chronic pain. This is my marriage. I thought it was going to be good. It's not. Now I have to live with it. These are my children. This is the money that I have. This is the future that I have to look forward to. This is everything. This is every day. This is every minute of my 72 plus years. That's all I can see. But what is eternity? We know what life is. We're living it. We feel it. Every day. But what is eternity? Well, eternity is an incredibly difficult thing to grasp. It's a very, very difficult thing to describe and to imagine. But in some ways, it's kind of like this rope that is stretched across the stage. Eternity stretches, on the one hand into the past, through the past, and out the other side, and keeps going. And we, we don't know where it began because, in fact, my friends, the Bible tells us, it did not begin. It has always been eternity past. And through the history of human civilization, it is snaked and curled and coiled around we have read it. You've studied it. Some of you just were grinning and bearing it. Others of us were lapping it up when you were studying history in school. And some of us even perversely read history books now for pleasure. But when you read it, you see all the strange things that happen. There's knots, there's twists, there's turns, there's loops. And eternity is going to keep going. It's going to keep going into the future, and it's going to stretch so far into the future that we could never even possibly dream of where it could end because it never will end. Eternity, by very definition, has no beginning. It has no end. But we are somewhere in the middle of it, aren't we? Our lives. Our lives, every minute, every day, every second of everything that we have to live and all the situations of our lives and our families and our jobs. And it's huge, isn't it? Don't we sometimes wake up in the morning and we think, I have what? So much to deal with. Right? You ever said that? I have so much to deal with. 
my relationship, my children, my finances, my health. It's so much. Everything that we go through in this life, do you know how it compares to eternity? Because your life is part of eternity. You know that, right? You're living today, October 13th, 2019. It is on this chart of eternity, right? It's part of time. You know where October 13th, 2019 is? It's right there. Can you see that strand right there? No, you can't. (laughs) I can barely see it, and I'm standing here. It's right there. And do you know where your 72-plus years are on that strand? Right there. Right there. Now listen, folks. Your life and everything that you are going through is real. It's real. I'm not saying that this is not real and that everything that you're dealing with is not real. What I am saying is that we need to maximize our view of eternity. We need to open our eyes to what God is talking about in his word when he says, what is going on in our lives right now, this affliction is momentary in the light of eternity. Paul knew this. He felt it. He lived it. In Romans 8, verse 18, he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. That's what you feel in the morning when you get up and you say, I've got so much on my plate. Futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Notice verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a lot there. Read Romans 8 sometime. 39 verses. We could do 39 messages on that chapter. But notice what Paul says. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, you are only enjoying a little tiny piece of what I am giving you in salvation. A little teeny bit. Now I'm very thankful for the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my life. Thankful for the way that he leads me and guides me and challenges me when I'm wrong. And helps me to understand the scripture and causes me to be able to know God and fellowship with him. 
Paul says that's only a little piece. And what's coming next as we groan inwardly is the redemption of our bodies. When we say, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'd like to live till I was 100 years old, but, you know, only if I was healthy. That's really only part of the story. Because if you could live to be 100 or 120 and be healthy, but no one else was, and the world was still spinning off its rails like it is now, that still would be not very enjoyable. But what if... What if God redeemed your body? What if he fixed it? What if he changed it so that it would not break down, so that it would not be subject to disease? And what if he did that not only for you, but for all of those who have trusted Christ as their Savior? And what if he allowed us to live for eternity in a perfect place in his very presence? That's the redemption of our bodies. In Philippians 3, Paul said, I have all this confidence in myself and who I am and what I can do, but you know what I'm learning? I'm learning that none of it matters. It could all be taken away, and it likely will be taken away. What does God want from us? God wants our confidence and our strength and our hope to be in him. That's what he wants, and that takes a lot of doing. I mentioned this two weeks ago. I want to mention it again for you. Pain loosens our grip on this world. Pain loosens our grip on this world. Pain is is often what it takes to cause us to truly let go of everything that we hold dear. It's difficult. It's so painful. It hurts so badly. And even for the Apostle Paul, if we were to look in our Bibles and we were to read our whole Bibles and we were to scan through and we were to list all the characters in the Bible and then we would make another list of all the people that God used and then we would make another list of all the people that God really used, Paul would probably be at the top, wouldn't he? Pretty close to it. But you know what? The process of letting go of everything that he held dear on this earth to place his confidence in Christ, to place his confidence in the fact that there was something far better that he had to look forward to was a process. We know that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that Paul begged God. He begged him to let all of these things go, to take all this pain away from him. God said, I'm not going to do that, Paul. I'm not going to do that. This is more important. What's more important? You trusting me is more important. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says it this way. Paul is at the end of his life. And he says, but our citizenship is in heaven And from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What is Paul saying? He's saying this. He's saying that God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Did you get that? He is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Friends, focus on eternity in your suffering. This is what we must look forward to. Our Savior's reappearing, heaven, the transformation of our frail, broken bodies and minds. You know what God wants you to know? God wants you to know that what he has in store for you there is far greater than anything you could ever enjoy here. That's what he wants you to know. Can you imagine what that will be like? Your suffering will be over. Your pain will be gone. Your heart will not ache. Your body will be new. When you see Jesus face to face, when you're standing before him, in that moment, only one thing will matter. And that is Jesus, your Savior, looking at you and saying, well done. You've been faithful. Then you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, welcome home. This is where you're meant to be. This is what John was talking about in Revelation 21. He said this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Can you even imagine it? Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are faithful and true. That's Jesus sitting on the throne. Write this down, because I'm doing it. It's going to happen. And then Jesus turned to John and he said to me, It is done. 
I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Folks, when we're in the middle of our suffering, we're in the middle of life and it's falling apart and you don't know if you can do it again, you don't know if you can do it another day, it's everything, it's dominating, it's all-encompassing. But I want you to know something. This story, this is God's story, and it's not done yet. It's not over yet. There's more to be written. You need to acknowledge the inevitability of suffering. You need to embrace the sovereignty of God in your suffering. You need to focus on eternity in your suffering. Because as painful as this life is, as evil as this world is, I want you to know something, folks. Suffering is not ultimate. God is. And this is His story. And it's not over yet.